0: Made in Latin America. Made
1: in Latin America.
0: Made in Latin America. Made in Latin America. Made in Latin America.
1: America. America. (laughs) Welcome to Made in Latin America, a new podcast brought to you by the Santo Domingo Center of Excellence for Latin American Research at the British Museum. In this podcast, you'll be listening to insights and interpretations about iconic collections at the British Museum, as well as examples from the more than 60,000 items, of which many have never been on display. Join us in this series that will deepen and challenge what you know about Latin America.
2: This season explores the Tolintea Codex, one of the few surviving pre-Hispanic pictorial manuscripts made more than 500 years ago in the Mystic region in Mexico. In which language is it written? Why is its blue color so unique? What stories does it tell? The podcast will be hosted by two curators from the Latin America Center, Laura Osorio Sonax and Maria Mercedes Martinez Milanchi. Indigenous researchers, communities, and artists working with this codex will join us throughout the season.
3: Hello everybody. This is Mercedes and Laura from the Santo Domingo Center of Excellence for Latin American Research at the British Museum and welcome to the Made in Latin America podcast. Today we will explore a creative project inspired by the music and sounds in the Donindeya Codex that were recorded in the Mishtec region. Ancestral instruments, sounds from nature, mishtec landscapes are central to this episode. Just to remind you how it's going to work, me and Laura are going to have a conversation and then we'll have some comments from different specialists. And throughout the episode, you'll be listening to a creative retelling of the Donindeya Codex read by Miguel Villegas Ventura.
2: Lord Twain Movement's body lies on the sky for a day and a night. Once found, there is much commotion, much beating of chests and wiping of eyes. Lord Adir himself makes the funeral preparations, brings the body, lights the fire, ties the dried corpse in its garments. Respect is paid in abundance with offering and spoils, but you can't miss the man in the crowd with the blood on his hands. The place Lord twelve movement was killed was in the territory of Shippe And Shippe was ruled by eight dears once, true love, now black heart beating. Lady Six Monkey's own children, two boys, were still young. But the others from the first marriage were adults now. And this was a dangerous thing to be in a town where a man has been murdered.
1: OK, so... um. I think it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about music in the Day Codex. Obviously, the Codex is, you know, is a long narrative and it's difficult to get a sense of anything sensorial such as, you know, hallucinogenic trances or, you know, or music and speech. But there are representations of musical instruments, right, in the in the Donny Dea Codex.
3: Yeah, lots of musical instruments are represented. Uh, for example, conch shells, which are used to call people to certain places, flutes, rattles, bells, and and some really beautiful drums.
1: Yeah, there's some drums in the British Museum's collections. Actually, they're on display in the Mexico Gallery as well, right? These kind of like long teponastles uh, that are kind of hollow. Uh, and and sort of carved with figures on the outside. Yeah, and they're
3: carved with bits of narrative also, which is interesting. So sort of narrative within the narrative.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I've always been interested in in those instruments, but um, but so but that but that's a very sort of clear link between what we have in terms of material culture and what we see in the in the codex. But interestingly, I want to talk to you about the exhibition that you did recently, which was with a contemporary sound artist who is not from the Mishtec region actually, and who doesn't play contemporary Mishtec instruments, but who definitely based his entire project on this codex. The art residency
4: at the SD Sealer at the British Museum led to the creation of the electroacoustic soundscape called Sanyu, which has been for me a truly significant project in which I was able to investigate on the mixed codices, particularly the Tonindeya Codex, and assimilate the narratives, context, language and relevance that these documents have for the Mesoamerican cultures of the present. It seems relevant to me that historical documents, manuscripts, archaeological pieces and objects, as well as ancestral spaces and enclosures, are studied not only by researchers, historians, and scientists, but also that artists can approach and contribute with their imagination and creativity to reinterpret history, to tell it and show it in new and interesting ways. Sound art and music, as well as any type of art, are of great relevance to the Mixtec culture. Sound as an element, as a symbol, is included in its manuscripts, but also in traditions, daily dynamics, and in language itself. There is a firm conviction that listening is a fundamental way for understanding the relationship between people and nature. Today, studies on soundscapes and acoustic ecology reinforce the importance of sound to understand our natural and urban context, which tell us about the interactions of elements, the movement of time, people and natural species. The Mixtecs have known this forever, and in their language we can find concepts such as *cayu* which means the sound of trees, or ndakama, the sound of moving water, or chasso that stands for listen the world. Sound is what enables relationship, connection, and recognition. It seems transcendental to retake or to keep alive the connection with sound as a practice, as a ritual, but also as art and music.
1: So do you want to tell me a little bit about how um how that project first started and how he got interested in the
3: codex? Definitely. So the artist's name is Jorge Martínez Valerrama, and he is a Mexican artist based in Mexico City. And he is he's an artist that fundamentally works in digital in digital media, right? So he he doesn't usually play. Instruments, but he does stuff on his computer. That's sort of the difference. He manipulates sounds (laughs) with his with his computer. Exactly. Uh, Can you describe
1: the exhibition briefly?
3: Sure. So the exhibition was held at the UK Mexican Art Society, which is near um, Euston Station. If you're familiar with London, but if not, it's in central London. And basically, on the outside of the of the gallery, there was a. Rendition of the of the Michtec landscape from Jorge's fieldwork, and so it was it was manipulated as as is typical in his work, but it was manipulated to have like blue, orange, neon colors. So it was sort of um, yeah, it was sort of depicting like a traditional landscape. It had cactuses, it had plants that one would imagine, I guess, are in Mexico, um, but then became much more contemporary with with the choice of color. And when you entered the exhibit, you had some wall text on your right-hand side, and then you had all the clay birds on the wall that were examples of instruments that were used in the artwork. And then when you entered, you were sort of immersed in his, like, visual soundscape. So you had a giant screen in front of you, and you had uh, five speakers surrounding you. And then on the outside of the exhibit, there was also something that um, he called a spectrotopogram. So it was basically, like, Jorge uses all these, like... Digital programs to to edit the music, and so he exported part of his artwork, which showed these spectrograms, which are just like visual representations of sounds. And then, working with a designer Lisa Rehong, he edited these to sort of mimic the Mishtek landscape. So it was sort of like a play on the idea of his whole work, which was based on sound, but then completed with with the visuals from the area.
1: Yeah, it sort of evokes the landscape, doesn't it, through through sound. And then that particular spectropogram was a visual representation of a map almost. But inside the map, the contents of that graph, if you want, was the sounds
3: that you could hear inside the gallery. Yes, and so his his artistic practice sort of is based on going into the field and recording different sounds from the landscape and, and manipulating these in, into, like, a full piece. And so when we invited Jorge to do a digital artist residency at the museum, he was first interested in these musical instruments we have in the collection. So we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these, like, clay instruments. A lot of them are animal-shaped. A lot of them are are sort of maybe more abstract animal shapes. But, but yeah, we have a lot of... of clay birds i guess you can call them in the collection which is also the name of his of his final work or birds clay but yeah so jorge was interested in the musical instruments and he also participated in these weekly seminars we had with indigenous archaeologists from from central mexico from the mixtec region and from the maya region and he got particularly interested uh, on the donindaya codex because he was fascinated by the metaphorical languages that we discussed in another episode and so those metaphorical languages, just to go over them if you haven't heard the other episode, is they're called Difrasismos, and and he was interested in how two separate words um, converge to create a third meaning. And so he's done this kind of symbolically with the sounds and with the visuals in his artwork. And so he's taken two different sounds that are completely unrelated and sort of mixes them and, and does does different digital manipulations to create new sounds which I think is really interesting.
1: It's a beautiful idea. Um this sort of music that sort of gets deeper and deeper and deeper, doesn't it? Because he keeps creating more and more texture. Wasn't there also an element to that piece in the end, that sound piece in which he incorporated some of the sounds made by replicas of those Mesoamerican animal-shaped instruments?
3: Definitely. So so there's a couple different aspects to his artwork. So he first um, worked with this Mishtek uh, musician called Luis Garcia Acevedo from the group Yellow Kinsey. and he worked with him to create a, a very different spectra of sounds from these instruments, from replicas of different instruments. A lot of these instruments were made by Mario Cortes Vergara, who has an ancestral practice of creating these ceramics for four generations plus. And so those sounds in in his artwork uh, remain untouched. So Jorge politically chose not to edit any of the elements that were made by his indigenous collaborators as a show of reference to to their work. And so he had so first he had the recordings of those instruments that were made by Luis. Second he had the voice of Nadia Nyusavi who's an indigenous uh, Mixtec poet and then third, he had recordings, um, audio recordings in the Mischtec landscape um, where he went on field work. And as an extra element, which is not usual of, of Hode's practice, is he integrated uh, a, a, a visu- the visual landscape. So there is video also with this uh, final artwork. And so he sort of um, replicates not only... The language in the codex um, throughout the sounds and through the video, but he also replicates like specific scenes in the codex. One of the scenes you we were talking about in a different episode where they put a hallucinogenic ointment on their skin, this uh, black ointment, and they have visions and connections with their oneric world, so that is also represented in his artwork.
4: Within the narratives described in every mixed codex, there is a constant reference to visionary experiences, revelations, homens, and premonitions. The use of plants, mushroom, cacti, and other stimulants or hallucinogens was very important to achieve these visions or warnings about transcendental events. They were a source of wisdom, power, and healing, used particularly in ritual ceremonies, dances, and songs. We can learn about the rituals with sacred mushrooms, such as the story of the first dawn in the Codex Utano or Vindobonensis, and the visit of Eight Deer to the Temple of Dead in the plate 44 of the Tonindaya Codex, where there were the donable priest, Yahweh, who were attributed supernatural powers. They could communicate with the underworld. We can also see people in different scenes using a black paint, which also had visionary properties. The way to integrate this concept into my piece, Sanyu, was through the distortion or dislocation of the audiovisual material, generated by the fragmentation of the images and the alteration of time, pitch, and timbre of the sound. In this way, the work also acquires its own alternative state that allows us to discover other forms and deeper nuances within the soundscape.
1: Yeah, I I, I really enjoyed that part of of the video, where basically you start to see the sort of image almost collapse or kind of create a kaleidoscope. And it does feel very much like... It's the feeling of being in a trance or of sounds and colours and images kind of merging. What I liked about the trance... The trance-like images and sounds in that piece is it's that yes, it references Lord Eight Deer and Lord Twelve Movement being painted with hallucinogenic ointment, getting ready to go and see Lady Nine Grass at the Temple of Death. And to me, it's that you know that whole the ritual act of of going through all of those motions and taking hallucinogenic substances is all about the seriousness of what it means to engage. In, in ancestral knowledge and ancestral practice in in the case of the Codex. Um, but it did make me think of an engagement generally uh, with a museum, which is also a ritual space. And we come into this museum and we see objects that are really deep, like the Duny De Codex. Often they're behind glass and we kind of look at them as being something from other people made them and they were important to other people. And now we see them as being just beautiful and they tell us about history and it's quite cold. It would be interesting, wouldn't it, to to walk into a museum and have a much more emotional connection to?
3: Definitely, and I, and I think what Jorge's work sort of does is it activates your senses in a way that like one can imagine would happen in the codex, right? It makes it sort of digestible to understand these like complicated metaf- metaphorical languages, which which aren't that easy to translate into everyday life. And so once you're in Jorge's artwork, that bit where where it it becomes very overwhelming, and you're suddenly like seeing loads of images it gets very dark the image and then it's on a five um five channel speakers and every side of the speaker is hitting you with like sounds and and everybody who went to the exhibit really felt like very overwhelmed which which i think is is the feeling you're supposed to feel in that bit of the codex right sort of translating the emotion of that of that scene
1: yeah i certainly think that a mish reader of that document hundreds of years ago, would not have read it with any kind of cold, discerning, interpretative eye, right? They would have read it as evoking in them whatever it, similar experiences they might have had in their ritual engagement.
3: Definitely. And, and it would be great to see this in the museum, sort of next to the Codex, and, and to see different interpretations of the Codex, right? Because Hoda is not the first contemporary artist, um, nor the last, that will use the Codex as inspiration. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think
1: the project with Jorge Martinez does champion the importance, doesn't it, of using contemporary methods like sound art to kind of push people to to see museums as a space in which you are supposed to feel something and understand something sensorially uh, and aesthetically rather than just intellectually.
3: The way to understand it also is important. So I think there is narratives in the codex, and we've, we've talked about this a lot, and like how these narratives are explained is not how narratives in museums are explained, right? And so understanding the different ways that people express themselves, I think, is really important also to to getting a bit closer to understanding these objects.
1: So I just wanted to ask you about the title. So the title of the exhibition is Bird's Clay, which doesn't actually make any sense in English.
3: Yeah, so bird's clay is a di that Jorge, the artist, um, made up. So it's bird's clay or sañu or in, in my very poor Mischtec pronunciation. He basically joined, joined these two words to create another meaning, which is the music produced by them, right? So instead of just birds or just clay... It's the music produced by these um, zoomorphic instruments, and so in the artwork when you when you try to listen to the bits that are nature, it's actually only the clay birds, the clay instruments, and all the parts that don't sound like nature that one would i guess attribute to instruments are actually his manipulations of of the natural landscape and so are there any actual sounds of
1: let's say birds in like in nature in the recording
3: i think I think there is like a couple. In the background, like, I don't think it was the main focus, but um, I don't think you'll be able to identify them like that. So anything that actually sounds like birds isn't isn't a bird. It's a clay bird. It's a clay bird. Yeah.
1: You mentioned that it is a collaborative project that, he, that Jorge Martinez did not work alone. So who, who are the people that he worked with?
3: Definitely. So he has, I guess, um, I would say four four main collaborators. Um, firstly, I mentioned before, Luis Garcia Acevedo from the group Yolokinsi He recorded all of the sounds of instruments that you're going to hear throughout the art piece. And then we have Nadia Nusavi, um, who is a Mishtek poet, and she is the voice that is in the artwork, which also remains unmanipulated. And then Mario Gortes Vergara is the creator of the claybirds and a lot of these ancestral instruments, a fourth-generation ceramicist who created um, also the instruments we used in the installation. Then we have Marco Antonio Lara, who is a longtime collaborator of Jorge Martinez, and he did the visuals and the visual editing um, for the piece.
1: Yeah, so really it was a group show, wasn't it, in lots of ways. And what do you think that Jorge took away from the project in terms of collaborating with Indigenous artists and creators.
3: So I think uh, Jorge, because he participated every week in seminars that were that was led in our research center um, discussing the codex from indigenous perspectives, and also participated in seminars trying to decipher the codex with contemporary indigenous languages. I think it was maybe his first opportunity to to collaborate in this way with indigenous communities, and I think. By hearing all of these people's political point of views on heritage, um, it really influences work. By not editing any of any of his collaborators' work, he really made a political stance on on how important it is to, to respect descendants of ancestral heritage.
4: The experience of collaborating with mystic artists such as Luis Garcia and the poet Nadia Niusabi has been extremely enriching because it allowed me to be much more sensitive in the creative process, in having a really meaningful approach with the context and the artistic search of the piece. The collaboration with Luis allowed me to know aspects of the musical use of the instruments, what they represent at a symbolic and cultural level, the reason for their morphology, the distinction between the musical instrument and the sound object. With Nadia, I learned about the importance of sound in the memory of communities how a sound or a word resonates deep within people and connects with their past and present, with their loved ones, and also with nature and everything that surrounds them. I think their contribution has been extremely valuable because the work became a platform for expression, participation, collaboration, exchange, dialogue, listening, and communion.
1: In this comment, Jorge mentions Luis García, who is part of the band Yodo which uses ancestral Mixtec instruments to create contemporary music. Listen to Luis on the continuity of the use of these instruments and how he got involved with Mixtec music.
0: It's kind of hard to talk about continuity in Mixtec music because history is not liner, you know, especially among indigenous cultures. Currently in the Mixteca region, There are different traditional genres, like chilenas, pasodobles, sones, jarabes, uh, that are played by different instrumental ensembles. Um, For example, there are wind bands, basically brass ensembles with trumpets, trombones, tuba, sometimes clarinets, and more recently added saxophones, this type of ensembles were born in the early 20th century Um, there are other traditional ensembles with strings like violins double bass um, an instrument called bajo quinto which is similar to a guitar and in those type of ensembles sometimes they use a clay jar as a percussion currently Wooden drums and flutes made out of reed are played in traditional dances. These flutes probably have their origin in the pre-Columbian times, as we can see them in the Tonindege Codex, also called Notal Codex. And the wooden drums are most likely adaptations of European military drums that were made during the colony. On the other hand, an instrument that has its origin in the pre-Columbian times is the teponasle, also called Ku, and it's currently played among mixtecos, nahuas, and tlapanecos in the mountain region of the state of Guerrero in rain request ceremonies. We can also talk about continuity in the meaning and symbolism of music, although with a clear European influence in the melodies, we can still find songs for harvest in mixteco language. So I first knew these instruments because my uncles founded a band that makes music with pre-Columbian instruments back in 1987 or so. This band is called Yodoquinsi. And Yodoquinsi is also their native town, which is in the Mixteca region of Oaxaca. So when I was a child, I would watch my uncles rehearsal and play these instruments and these sounds just captivated me when you're growing up you imitate what you see so I joined Jodo Kinsey when I was like five years old or so and I became a musician but instead of learning music through a guitar or a piano, I learned playing wooden drums and clay flutes. I learned music through ancient instruments.
1: There are actually two Mishtek de Bonastli that Luis describes from the British Museum's collection. We've discussed them, but these are slit drums carved out of wood. If you want to hear your music, you can find them on YouTube or on Spotify. your is spelt Y-O-D-O-Q-U-I-N-S-I. So the use of contemporary art to kind of fracture the sort of empiricist vision or the, or the educational vision of anthropology and history collections has been critiqued a little bit, right? So why do you think that... What do you think of Jorge Martinez's work in the context of those kinds of criticisms of contemporary art?
3: Definitely. And and, and just to be more explicit about the criticism, the criticism is about um, non-descendant communities working with ancestral material. I think it's, it's complex and I, I don't know if I have a, a final opinion on this, but I think that when these respectful collaborations are in place... Um, This is a way to disseminate um, ancestral culture and to platform Indigenous voices. And so I think in in that way, it's good. I don't know if I agree when these types of collaborations aren't done in a way that people get something out of it in the same way. When contemporary artists appropriate and take advantage of Indigenous and ancestral heritage without, I think, respectful collaboration... Then it does become inappropriate for, for history and anthropology museums to work with them. But I think that's sort of our role in this, and, it, and our role is, is to make sure that type of thing doesn't happen, right?
2: When you're on from the stabbing in the Temascal, Lord Adir comes for them. He overpowers the town, claims the two eldest sons of Laurie Levin Wind are responsible. Vengeance, he claims pain ahead to pay for the pain behind. The rulers of the town and their family are arrested. He enters the room to see Lady Six Monkey, his once true love. There have been 18 years since the temple of death and the boys there that snap the strings in his heart. They have not seen each other since that day and in the space of that room the time from them to now shrinks to an instant. The breath of the wind on that hillside still brushes them. She sees a world that might have been and a man she might have loved once but does not love now. She sees a man that she knew at the back of the eyes of this warrior king but she knows the man before her is not that man and he sees on her face a world that might have been but it is not the world they inhabit. And so he sheds no tear when he condemns them to die. And vengeance for a murder he knows they did not commit. And as Lady Six Monkey and Lord Eleven Wind and the two eldest sons are marched through the ceremonial center, none shed a tear. And as the four heads of the ruling family of the town are slipped with knives and killed, the Lord's sun shines in the sky. The sun sees all and judges all and knows that there will be retribution
1: In the last episode, we will explore contemporary codices that are currently being made in Mexico and along the Mexico-US border. We're going to discuss the different approaches to making these contemporary codices, including their creative content as well as their political messages. This and more in our next session. Until next time.
2: The epic of Lord A. Deer was read aloud by Miguel Villegas-Ventura. This created reinterpretation, scripted by Jack Monaghan, is based on the Toninteje and other mystic codices, that mention Lord A. Deer's story. We are particularly indebted to the book. *Encounter with the Plum Serpent, Drama and Power in the Heart of Mesoamerica by Martin Jensen and Gavina Aurora Perez Jiménez and the play Recreation of the History Told in the Mishte Colises by the community theater Y O Onusavi directed by María Ofelia Porras Lescas.
0: This podcast season is made possible by the generosity of Alejandro and Charlotte Santo Domingo and Mrs. Julio Mario Santo Domingo with Andres and Lauren Santo Domingo. If you want to know more about the Santo Domingo Center, please visit SD Cellar website, sdcellarbritishmuseum.org. This podcast was recorded, engineered, and edited by Pronk Productions. For more information on pronk, please visit prankproductions.com. That's P-R-O-N-K-productions.com.